when the archives have a tome. When the healing fountain runs dry. When... Oh, hey, look, there's free stuff. That is when heroes rise. You stand between me and my lord and kin. Be gone. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Welcome, brave adventurers, to Heroes Rise. I'm Osteron, and joining us on our quest this evening are two of the wisest adventurers in the land. I'm Ryu. And I'm Ray Ray. And this is the 114th entry into our chronicle, recorded on Saturday, April 11th, and released Wednesday, April 15th, over at HeroesRisePodcast.com. Lennon is unfortunately still recovering from some side effects of the Peach's Bicycle incident, so we asked our community manager, Ray Ray, to step in for him. Would those be the side effects of me bopping him on the head for messing up my pool? I can neither confirm nor deny. So, <laughs> Ray Ray, what's in store for our brave adventurers this week? In this week's adventurers pack, well, Ria wouldn't tell me anything for the intro, but she did give me a little clue. After that, we check out some D&D news as we discuss official errata from wizards covering several resources, Ed Greenwood announcing a new DM's Guild resource, and quarantine resources available for free from Wizards of the Coast. After that, we take a short rest and hear some wisdom from the masters on epilogues, before finally heading over to the scrying pool to see what you have to say. That takes care of all the introductions, so let's take a look at what's in our adventures bags. Do you always carry this picture bag? If we're going to get out of here, we're not going to need a few things. Name one thing you're going to need the stupid roll for. So we all know how much I love dice by now. I also love Studio Ghibli movies, so when a coworker of mine sent me a link to a custom Jumbo D20 encasing a My Neighbor Totoro figurine, I just had to have it. Now, this particular D20 is not available on the site anymore. I think it was a one-off because it was gone the next day after I bought it, and I think I was just lucky enough to snag it. But at the time, there were at least three other D20s in this line at littleclues.com. This site sells a variety of things, like they've got a dice jail, they've got some dice trays and jewelry, but the main focus of tonight's talk is going to be about the dice and the dice bags, especially their jumbo D20s. So the dice bags are pretty. They also seem to be very well made, the fabric is pretty good quality, and they are double-lined. The stitching also seems to be pretty solid on them, and I'm, I'm a quilter, so I like to think that I'm a pretty good judge of things like that. Now onto the dice. Like I said, what drew me to the site in the first place was my Totoro Jumbo D20. It's a clear shell with a figurine of a Totoro holding a watermelon in a flower patch, and it's really cute. So. These dice, including the sets, are all handmade. Many of the dice include small figurines embedded inside, like penguins, or ducks, or dragons. And occasionally they'll have some really neat jumbo D20s with things like the Totoro figures or other dragons. The one that they've got on the site right now is a Cthulhu figurine, I believe. I also really like that the 20 face on all of the D20s shows the shop logo instead of the normal 20. And I know that might not be for some people, but 
In this case, the shop logo is a dragon, so surprise, surprise that I like it, right? These dice are also not cheap. Not as expensive as the artisan dice that Ostron told us about a few weeks ago, thankfully, but the sets here range from $20 to $100, which I imagine is mostly due to being custom-made and the fact that most of them have handmade figurines and inclusions inside, but still, not cheap. The Totoro D20 I bought was $20 by itself, which is a little more understandable to me because of the size. I think it's a... I want to say it's a 45 millimeter, and it's also pretty unique. So I do feel like the single D20s aren't a bad deal at all. I also feel like I do need to bring up that Little Clues did a Kickstarter a while back for some of these Jumbo D20s with the little dragons inside. I did not know about this Kickstarter at the time, so I didn't back it, and therefore I wasn't privy to a lot of the drama that went on with it. And I don't know how or if it ever got resolved, but there was an issue with a lot of the backers not getting their promised backer rewards and the seller pushing back the shipping dates more than once. That being said, when I bought my Totoro D20, it shipped the next morning and it was in my house in three days. So it seems to me like Little Clues has gotten past those hurdles and um, I... I personally have had an overall experience with this site. I really have no doubt that you guys will too, should you choose to order from here. So most of their dice look very visually appealing, and the figures encased in the dice are unique and interesting. My only concern, though, is that from the pictures, it seems like they are a little bit hard to actually use as dice, because the numbers don't seem that distinct. Well, the numbers are carved in, and what they have on the site are uninked. So you can, when you purchase the dice, choose from ink colors. Oh, okay. All right, that would make more sense. I refute your opinion with duckies. Yeah. <laughs> they are cute. Uh, the, the Totoro D20 that I have, I got with uninked numbers, and... It's not too hard to read them, except in a few cases, like the 13 sometimes looks like an 18, depending on what angle you're at, but I don't think it's too bad, but I can understand why you would think that that would be hard. Hmm. I think if anybody loves me a whole lot, they'll get me the Aurora dice set. <laughs> I'm really liking that one, even though it doesn't have duckies in it. Yeah, I was going to say the dice they have that are, well, they're not really solid, but the ones that don't have figures embedded in them oh, are also very attractive dice sets. so gorgeous. I'm, I'm partial to the green dragon dice set, but, you know, it's $100 and, uh... Yeah, I, um, never in my right mind would ever spend $45 on dice, except maybe this one. <laughs> <laughs> Drool. Although I like the font that they used on that one as well. For me, that's easier to read than some of the plain old blah fonts <laughs> that a lot of dice have on them. Links to little clues can be found in our show notes, but is there something that's an absolute must-have at your tables? Found a cool app, book, or other item you'd like to share with other adventurers and dungeon masters? Let us know about it by emailing sendingstone at heroesrisepodcast.com. 
But for now, let's check out some D&D news. Uh, I have news. And what sort of news do you have? It's not bad news, is it? No, I can't take bad news. Furniture all over town has been turning into monsters. This week in D&D news, though it was teased in several Twitter posts earlier, including one by Jeremy Crawford, Wizards updated and released new errata to several rulebooks on the 6th of April. In addition to some minor updates to errata for the player's handbook, we got updates for Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes, Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and the adventure Out of the Abyss. While the updates to other resources are mostly minor, though I personally felt the update in Out of the Abyss that changed Gauntlegrim to Grackle Stew was long overdue. Most people's attention focused on the changes to Xanathar's Guide. Of particular note was the update to the Healing Spirit spell. Where previously there was no limit on the number of times the spirit could grant healing to creatures, now it is constrained by the spellcasting modifier of whoever cast the spell. Sorry, no more infinite healing fountain. Most of the other changes are minor corrections and clarifications, such as instances where a d6 was referenced in one place, but it said d8 in another, although the holy weapon spell has been updated to allow the caster to use the weapon like a holy hand grenade if they like. Do, do they have to count to three? No more than three! <laughs> no, that's not officially required, but the key, the key is the spell used to... When Holy Weapon is dispelled intentionally, it basically detonates and creates this damaging radiant wave. It used to say that that wave was centered on the caster. Now it says it's centered on the weapon. So Aha, technically, gotcha. if somebody like hurls their sword across the battlefield and then dispels the spell, it would function like a grenade. Of course, then they have, you know, their weapon halfway across the battlefield and no way to get it. But is it only useful against man-eating rabbits? <laughs> no, it's useful against anything that can take radiant damage. And yes, I'm intentionally <laughs> and desperately trying to avoid dragging this down into farce. <laughs> I actually don't think that the change to Healing Spirit was needed. Why is that? Well, just because it's only a D6 every time. That's not very much healing anyway. At least in my games, that wouldn't that would not be enough to keep anybody up at all. Right. The problem or the the reason people felt it was a problem is it says in the spell description that it's anyone who moves into the spirit's aura or starts their turn there and originally when there was no limit that's anybody every turn so it essentially acts like a healing turnstile okay i can see that so but i it, still don't think that 1d6 is enough for that to matter much maybe my games just deal really high damage i don't know stop yeah, wearing you, the hat I mean, all the time yeah Oh, now see, <laughs> that, that's kind of in, like, we have an agreement. <laughs> <laughs> well, enough enough people considered it an issue that they changed it. I mean, I, I think I only had one game where it was used, and it did end up dishing out a lot of health. Hmm. Uh, I think it's, I think the problem is that the aggregate amount of health that it can provide is a lot without this limitation because it's it's like when you consider a spell like mass healing word where 
okay, everyone's only getting 1d4 plus the modifier, so max they're probably getting 9 hit points, which, you know, most creatures can probably take out in one hit. But when you look at it objectively, that's 9 hit points spread across the entire party, so that could be up to 54 HP healed. Hmm. Also, if they cast it out of combat, it was almost like a free short rest or even a free long rest depending on how well they were able to finagle it but that uses up a spell slot yeah but a spell slot to get your team from whatever hit points they're at to nearly full well yeah i guess that's true i guess i would be with the one to keep the spell slot for myself <laughs> but then again i've also never played cleric so Another announcement that snuck its way onto Twitter in the last week was an unofficial one, but still generated a good amount of buzz. Ed Greenwood, longtime D&D contributor and acknowledged creator of the Forgotten Realms setting, you know, the one where most of D&D is taking place right now, is going to be releasing a new tome called Elminster's Candlekeep Companion sometime in April. We've mentioned this before, but in case someone forgot, Candlekeep is considered the ultimate repository of mundane and magical knowledge in the Forgotten Realms. It's a major stop in the descent into Avernus' official adventure. This book is apparently going to be a sort of setting guide and informational reference for running adventures in and around the fortress. There wasn't a lot of information about what's in the book beyond that, but the list of contributors includes several DMs Guild veterans and established creators. Comments from the announcement tweet have also suggested that there is a rolling table of random books. Unfortunately, the comments also state the guide is not being made Adventurers League legal and will only be released on the DMs Guild. Okay, is everyone nice and safe at home? If not, get there. There's a pandemic on. Yes, COVID-19 and the associated isolation is affecting everyone right now. Fortunately, Wizards of the Coast realizes that, and they've joined a growing list of companies providing free materials to assist with passing time during the lockdown. Unfortunately, Wizards does not have any personally branded tools to help with actually playing remotely or at home. Despite rumors that D&D Beyond will be getting a virtual tabletop feature to integrate with the online character sheets, it is yet to show up. Putting together an actual tabletop is still on the players, so off to Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds or whatever other virtual environment you want to use. However, once you get yourself situated, Wizards is providing a whole host of resources to run adventures once you get there. For the immediate future, Wizards is going to be releasing a small amount of free resources on their website every weekday. The best part is, this isn't like a Black Friday sale or a holiday sale where you have to show up on the day of to reap the benefits. The free materials are still available after they've been posted. So, for example, if this episode is the first you're hearing of this, you can go to the site and browse the entire back catalog of free stuff, all available as downloadable PDFs. Some of the materials are actually DMs Guild hosted, but they've all either been made free or pay what you want for the time being as well as the first-level adventure Defiance in Flan, which deals with fighting the Cult of the Dragon. They also re-released the children's activity book, Adventures with Muck, which was originally a 2019 Extra Life project and has a bunch of puzzles, coloring pages, and other things for the younger adventurers. On the 7th, they released another Adventurers League adventure, The Secrets of Sockle Keep, which is for levels 1 to 4 and still centered on Flan. The big thing about Tuesday, though, was that Wizards effectively gave everyone access to the content of the D&D 5th Edition starter set for free. You don't get the dice, but you do get the starter rulebook, the pre-generated characters, and the Lost Minds of Fendelver adventure module. 
The latter has to be accessed through one of the digital resource libraries, so those interested have to hop over to Roll20, D&D Beyond, or Fantasy Grounds. There's also a freaky beholder picture to color for those of you with itchy colored pencils. Wednesday gave us the Shadows Over Moonsea as an Adventurer's League adventure, again for characters level 1 to 4. The general resource this time is a collection of 60 encounters in Avernus. These aren't adventures, being closer to a more detailed random encounter table. Instead of one line that says, you encounter 1d4 bandits, these encounters would say, characters encounter 1d4 bandits harassing someone on a bridge, and then gives you options for who is being harassed and why that is. The bonus art resource this time is a coloring page with dragons! This page is more like one you'd find in a so-called adult coloring book with lots of minute details and smaller areas. On the 9th, the Adventurer's League resource was the first to fourth level adventure, Dues for the Dead, focusing on a conflict with a necromancer, while the general resource is another 2019 Extra Life offering, the Infernal Machine Rebuild, which can send adventurers of levels 5 through 10 investigating magical artifacts at the sites of the Temple of Moloch and the Tomb of Horrors, but in different time periods. And for the artists out there, there's another adult coloring book picture of a mimic. At least, we think it's just a picture of a mimic. Handle with care. This past Friday, there was no additional Adventurer's League release, but there was another collection of encounters, this time themed around Saltmarsh. For coloring, there's a combat scene featuring a bunch of hapless guards facing off against a beholder. By the time this episode releases, there will be more material available, and we'll go over those next week. Now, Wizards hasn't put up official limits on any of these, but they have said that they won't be free forever. Most likely, whenever the general lockdowns and crisis passes, a lot of these resources will go back to being whatever price they were before society started shutting down. So if you're interested in picking up any of these, make sure to head over to Wizards website and or the DMs Guild to snag them. And of course, stay safe. So Free stuff. Yeah. Yes. Free stuff is always good. And stay home. Always. If you can. Please. I uh, I really liked the premise behind the encounters. I haven't seen anything like those before, to my knowledge, and they seem like they would be very useful beyond just the settings that they're particularly located with. Like the encounters in Saltmarsh, a lot of them are generic enough that I think you could probably put them in almost any campaign you happen to be running. Because I only looked at the full-size preview, but... For example, one of them just says, and this is the whole thing, it's, it's an encounter called Boss Dog. It says a mangy starving pack of 2d4 mastiffs led by a savage gray dire wolf confront the characters in a quiet part of town. And then you roll a d4 to determine what treasure the pack might possess, which can be nothing, um, a name tag on the dire wolf, a gem that one of the dogs swallowed, or a full den that has a magic item in it. So yeah, those are those are really neat. So I think if nothing else, like even if you don't run pre-made adventures like I usually don't bother with, the encounters guides are something that's worth checking out. I'm really happy that they're making Lost Minds of Fandelver a free resource right now. Even if you want to not have anything pre-written in your campaign, sometimes it's really hard to actually get started. And Fandolin is a great place to start. So a lot of our listeners probably know about uh, the Adventure Zone podcast. 
And they started out playing through the starter set in in Fandolin. And then they took that piece of the story and changed it up just a little bit so that it would keep going on. And it ended up folding into the story that the DM had in mind. So all that to say, I'm really happy that they're making the starter set free because there are a lot of people who just don't know where to start. And well, the starter set is aptly named. Uh, I did want to ask you, because I wasn't sure, uh, Ryu, is the Cult of the Dragon the thing from Rise of Tiamat? It is, but apparently the Cult of the Dragon is not just in that book. Like, it's it's everywhere. It's actually, it's like one of the Forgotten Realms' best-kept secrets, apparently. <laughs> Except for when you're actually going through Rise of Tiamat. There mm. are people in purple-colored robes everywhere. Well, maybe they just had you know, extra dye lying around and decided to go nuts. Possibly. Who knows? Could be an evil cult trying to kill you, but, mm. you know. Hey, it's an evil cult with a fashion statement. <laughs> I like all the adult coloring. I'll take that. I also kind Especially of need the, the time one. to do it, but... <laughs> yeah, I did think that was nice that they had some stuff that wasn't explicitly, hey, go play d and I mean, if, yeah. if they want to get me friends to play with too that'd be great but <laughs> and the kid stuff yeah that's so great for me so great for me <laughs> had either of you heard of or used the adventure with muck thing before never heard of it i had not i didn't really follow last year's extra life like i should have i followed it the year before but for some reason last year i just wasn't paying attention to it. My kid would probably mistake it for the Pokemon, though. <laughs> One of the pages in there, which I think is a sample from the Adventures with Muck thing, is disturbing because it starts out with owl plus bear equals owl bear. And that's, you know, that's from the monster manual, so that's fine. But then as you go down, it gets to rhino plus shark equals rhino shark. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, please stop because I do not <laughs> want to see these things in the monster manual or alternatively being used by my DM. Now that we're caught up with the latest D&D news, let's take a short rest and hear some wisdom from the masters on how you can wrap up a story. I am more than the exalted ruler of this land and the master of all I survey. You think you're the only hero in the world? You've become part of a bigger universe. <sighs> well, I'm officially out of spell slots, and I'm going to be mumbling the incantation for water breathing in my sleep now. Did anyone actually double-check that the gnome was the only one who could fix Lenin's bike? What, you think he made that up? I just, you know, find it hard to believe he made Lenin go get him a bunch of meteoric iron at the bottom of a lake with nesting hydras. I do this for him after he nearly breaks my scrying pool. He's lucky it was his birthday. Well, the gnome finally welded everything together, though why Lenin needs a wind gauge on his bike is beyond me. Well, most of Lennon's reasoning is beyond us, honestly. So what do we do now? I've heard of this great chain of islands everyone's been talking about. It's supposed to be lots of food and fish and pretty flowers. Also, eggs, for some reason. Well, the ferry is only a few minutes away on Peaches. Hey, what happened to that gnome's assistant, anyway? Don't know. Didn't ask. Aw, I was kind of curious about that. And she had that sister with the money troubles we never asked about either. That can happen. 
Most writers, whether they be of novels, comics, movies, or TV shows, will agree that one of the hardest parts of writing is figuring out an ending. Tying the story together in a satisfying way while also taking care of loose ends related to the major characters can be difficult to do well. This is also something that can be an issue for campaigns in D&D. There's no real obligation for the DM to come up with epilogues or concluding notes, but many players will feel a sense of incompleteness if a campaign abruptly ends as soon as the big bad drops to zero HP. At the very least, they'll probably have questions about how their characters return to wherever they live. While many official adventure modules include epilogue notes that describe the aftermath of major NPCs, even those are sometimes lacking. Tomb of Annihilation, for example, includes epilogues for the four or five NPCs and one of the organizations operating in Chult, but it is very likely the characters met and formed bonds with many more characters and organizations than that. Since the official resource doesn't provide anything to add for those characters, their ultimate fates are a mystery, unless the DM decides to fill in the blanks. If you've ever wanted to have your very own campaign ending montage, just sit back and listen. First, we'll touch on the NPCs. You don't need to have an epilogue ready for every NPC the characters ever met, but it shouldn't be hard to figure out the ones the characters will be interested in. If there's an NPC that's been traveling with the characters for a good length of time, having a wrap-up for them is a given. The same goes for a regular quest-giving or advisor NPC the characters often consulted during downtime. If any enemy NPCs are still running around, noting what happened to them, even if it's a vague and ultimately inconclusive end, is a good idea. Other NPCs are a matter of feel. Sometimes characters will only meet an NPC once or twice, but will often reference them and comment on their character. Or a character might have formed a quick but lasting bond they're planning to follow up on after the adventure. Those NPCs probably need an epilogue as well. The actual wrap-up each NPC gets doesn't have to be a novel. One or two descriptive sentences is usually enough, such as the maiden you rescued returned to her village, married a local scribe, and they both got a nice house in Waterdeep with the proceeds from her memoir, My Time with the Goblin Horde. You'll want to make sure such summaries still tie up any loose ends that might have been left, and if the characters did something specific for the NPC, make sure to address what the consequences of that were if it wasn't part of the story. If you rescued Jessica's cat, an update on the animal should be in the summary somewhere. The most important thing with those wrap-ups is that they mostly make sense. An odd twist for humor or surprise is fine, but make sure the wrap-up for an NPC fits with their character. Volo isn't suddenly going to decide to set up a jungle safari franchise in Chult, for example. Epilogues for the main characters can be trickier. With NPCs, you have all the knowledge of their motives, associations, and goals, either because they were in the module or because you made them up. The players dictate most of that information for their own characters. Hopefully you have a good idea of the motivations and attitudes of the players by the end of a campaign, but if it was a shorter adventure, you might need some more help. Talking to the players directly is an obvious way to get that kind of info, but you might also be more subtle about it, possibly by having an NPC bring up long-term goals in conversation, or just noting offhand comments the player makes in character. Also remember that you should avoid railroading the characters in epilogues just as much as you do during gameplay. If you have a wrap-up for the characters in mind, it's usually a good idea to still leave the character in out. That can take the form of an offer or a reward that the character has the option to refuse, or you can present them with a few different options. Let's say one of your characters is a fighter, and the campaign involved saving a village from demonic incursion with the help of a local group of paladins. At the end, the paladins could offer to let the fighter join their ranks as an officer, 
but the townsfolk could also offer to let them be their mayor. That allows the player to determine which goal their character would be more interested in. In the end, it's also okay to let the players decide. There are some groups where the end of the campaign will involve each player describing what their character does after the adventure concludes, and then the DM only fills in the stories for the NPCs. Note you aren't completely free of obligation here either, though, because the players might have questions. In the example Ray Ray just gave, the player might decide his fighter wants to stay in the village and will ask about that, at which point you can reply with how the village would feel about it, possibly mentioning the mayor thing then. It's also possible you could be totally off the hook for this part. If the player is planning on reusing the character or having them continue adventuring at their current level, they might not want a sweeping epilogue that sets their character up for life, because they're going to be heading off in a month or so to go start another adventure. If you were your player group once, the epilogues could be entirely collaborative. In that case, you and the players would discuss and give opinions to determine not only what the player characters do after the campaign, but also what happens to the NPCs. That can be a good approach for groups of newer players in particular. It gives them more experience with role-playing, but also reinforces that D&D is partly telling a story. Now they're helping to write the ending. For the future, it may even help them realize that the more their characters engage with the world, the more impact they have. Now just because everyone's working together on the epilogues here doesn't mean you can just sit back and let everyone else do the work. While you don't have to come up with individual stories, you should at least be able to say what effect the events of the campaign had on the general area. The life of the character's favorite bartender will be directly affected if the cave of gnolls that was cleared out turns out to be a literal gold mine, and the players will need to know that if they're going to put together a backstory they'll all be happy with. As we said, there isn't a hard and fast rule that campaigns have to wrap up information for all the characters, particularly if it was a short, self-contained adventure. But if you finish campaigns and find your players keep asking questions about the halfling magician or the traveling merchant they met, it might be worth getting them ready for your next one. Alright everyone, hop on! I'm not sitting in the middle this time. Peach's back is like 30 feet long. You could lie down and still not touch either of us. I have my reasons. Oh, hey, um, what are we gonna do about the scrying pool? It's, it's handled. You mean... HR Oblex to the rescue. Won't somebody notice that? Not if you stop talking about it and we leave now. Come on, peaches! What news from the north? Join us of Rohan! Message for you, sir. Two weeks ago, we asked you, the listeners out there in the multiverse, there's a new unearthed arcana again. Tell us what you think. Do you like the structure of the new spells? Do you think Ostron is right to worry about the tattoos, or should he be more like Ryu and just enjoy them? Dragonlance Sourcebook. Was this as out of the blue as the hosts think? Or did you notice some hints and clues prior to this that we should have picked up on? Turkey Guy on Discord says, In response to the Zoom versus anything else debate, I found that we get better performance out of having Zoom and turning off the Roll20 video than trying to use it. I also don't know that I've ever managed to successfully get a video conference going on Discord with more than two people. And Indigo Spectre wrote in on Discord to say, I like the new spell options, and both Ostron and Ryu are right. We should worry about the tattoos, but we should also enjoy them. I'll be doing both. Regarding Dragonlance, I saw a few weeks ago evidence that Margaret Weiss was working on something under non-disclosure agreement. This makes sense now. I didn't exactly see it coming, but I knew something was coming from Dragonlance. I had thought it was one of the seven video games that Wizards of the Coast is working on. TR Knight on Discord in regards to remote gaming resources says, I've had success recently using Jitsi Meat. Nick Landry on Twitter says, 
I haven't had a chance to review the tattoos yet, but the same day this UA came out, I convinced my DM to let me swap a spell to get Conjure Spirit Fey on my bard. I still haven't cast it yet, but this is exactly the kind of spell flavor I wanted for my flamboyant support caster. Well, I'm surprised that we didn't get more feedback on the Dragonlance thing. Yeah, um, although to be fair, part of that might have been because we 100% made it up. Yeah, we um, did. So, April Fool's guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as we're aware, there is no actual Dragonlance sourcebook in the offing that Wizards has officially announced or leaked anywhere. Uh, the partial screenshot that Lennon posted was actually a screenshot of a picture of a Dragonlance sourcebook from 3rd edition. So, yes. Um, apologies if anyone actually got really excited about that, but dirty, it was dirty all in the spirit of April. F- yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're evil like that. I'm honestly surprised nobody called us out on it more than anything. Well, unfortunately, after we dropped it, I feel like a lot of people had other things on their mind. So Really? Like what? <laughs> like what? what is possibly going on in the world right now that could be more important than D&D? Especially more important than our podcast. Mm. Come on. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously, but... <laughs> And in general feedback, two weeks ago, Rebel wrote in on Discord to say, Good show, guys. Thanks. Stay safe. Stay distant. And then last week, Rebel wrote in again for our non-existent show to say, Terrible show with no content. That was a joke. Good well, one, we Rebel. Thank Rebel for, yeah. <laughs> we, thank, we thank him for being consistent, if nothing else. <laughs> yeah. And that brings us to this week's community questions. Did any of the errata catch you off guard? Was the change to Healing Spirit necessary, or did you not think it was much of a problem? Are you looking forward to the Candlekeep resource from Ed Greenwood? Did you find something out about it that we missed? And have you been taking advantage of the free resources from Wizards? Which one are you most excited about? Details on how you can get in touch coming up next. And so this brings us to the end of the 114th entry into our Chronicle. We'll be back with our 115th entry on April 22nd. But before we go, we want to know, for you, dear listener, how was the show? Whatever your thoughts or feelings, let us know. You can comment on this show's post on our website, heroesrisepodcast.com. You can find us on all good social media at heroesrisednd. You can email us, sendingstone at heroesrisepodcast.com, or you can chat with us live and join the Heroes Rise community at discord.heroesrisepodcast.com. This show isn't just a one-way conversation, and we always love to hear from you. So take a minute and tell us your thoughts. Make sure you're never caught in the middle of a quest without us by subscribing to our feed at feeds.heroesrisepodcast.com or by searching for us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and anywhere else good podcasts can be found. And if you like the sound of what we do, we're always looking for new adventurers to join the party. And all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in our show notes. No matter your passion, scribing, dungeon mastering, or audio alchemy, we're sure to have a spot at our table for you. You can also help support the show by subscribing to our Patreon. Tiers start from $4 per month and give you raw recordings of the show before the Wednesday release, Heroes Rise t-shirts, pins, a super secret patron lounge on our Discord server, and our second show, Heroes Rise Dissonant Whispers, a free-form roundtable discussion of the wider topics in D&D. To become a patron, just head on over to patreon.com slash heroesrisednd. If a financial donation isn't your thing, that's cool too. Every time you share our show with your friends, family, or your friendly local gaming stores, you help our audience grow, and that's ultimately why we do this. Thanks for all your likes, shares, and retweets. 
We want to take a moment to thank our head scribe, Gath Memvar, our social media mage and guest host, Ray Ray, our web wizard, Mark, our dungeon master and Adventures League correspondent, Indigo Spectre, and our audio alchemists, Mikey, Branwyn, and Tomosthenes. Special thanks go to our halfling moneylenders, Marty Jodoric, Jonathan Hickman, The Despoiler, The Hobbyist, and Randall Evans, Vince Vept for all the awesome music you've heard throughout the show. Be sure to check him out at vincevept.bandcamp.com. And Love Loeslayer, the designer of our banners and avatars. You can find him on Twitter at RealLarryD and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Loeslayer. But above all, we want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to our tales this evening. And until our paths shall cross again, fare thee well, brave adventurers. I'm Ri- oh. <laughs> Am I looking at the wrong intro? It says I'm R on oh, mine. I'm R and I'm Ray Ray. There okay, sorry. <laughs> I was just seeing R. Sorry. Hello? Uh-oh. Do we have Ryu yet? Apparently not. Hello. Oh, Yay. There you are. Grim to Grackle Stew. I have to do it again. I'm sorry. <laughs> what i was just gonna say moving on it's your turn oh okay i was about to move on mm-hmm. and then you said something so. i know <laughs> it's a major stop in the descent to avernus what <laughs> sorry i just remembered something okay flan flan i assumed it was a long a but flane probably not sorry just makes me hungry. Are you laughing at Flynn? Yes. <laughs> okay. I just, you know, find it hard to believe he made Lennon go and get him a bunch of meat. Meteoric. Yeah. I, I know it. <laughs> okay. It's just a lot of words all at the same time. Blah, blah, blah. While many official adventure modules include epilogue notes that describe the after... <laughs> nope. In the example, Lennon... Oops. <laughs> I'm not British enough for that. (laughs) Or male enough for that. I mean, I could try that. (laughs) While you don't have to come up with individual stories... Hold on a second, I have a cat trying to get in my lap. Go away. (laughs) That is extremely distracting. (laughs) Go away. (laughs) He starts biting me, then you'll know it. But... Because you'll scream a little bit? I might squeak. Um... (laughs) Oh, hey, uh, what are we going to do about the scrying pool? It's hand. It's oh. handled. Were we actually supposed to say that at the same time? Ryu, ask again, please. Oh, um, what are we going to do about... Uh, I might ask it again if I can... That's okay, not it's really it just for me. The other one was good. <laughs> nah, I wanted to redo it anyway. Optional squee!